Well, this Sunday has traditionally been celebrated as Christ the King Sunday in our lectionary. Jesus has been called King of the Jews, Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords. But in this cameo John gives us where Jesus is before Pilate in his trial, we see a very different king than we might expect. Each of the groups in the story are leaders, yet they contrast quite dramatically with Jesus. And in the story we have three main players, the Jewish leaders, Pilate the Roman leader and of course Jesus. The plot is a trial which will send Jesus to his death. But within this trial there are subtle complexities which take us right to the heart of God and his love for humanity. Our story starts when the priests hand Jesus over to Pilate, but I'd just like to backtrack a little bit to the night before this. Jesus had been arrested at Gethsemane and found himself questioned through the night by the high priests and then thrown into a pit. He had no witnesses and the trial by any standards was unfair. Jesus had clearly upset the Jewish hierarchy, openly challenging the way they interpreted the law. He healed on the Sabbath, he healed in the name of God, and it rattled them. But instead of being open about it, they snuck around at night under the cloak of darkness. The trial was not a bona fide trial because they already had in mind what they wanted. There was no option of them finding Jesus innocent and releasing him. They wanted Jesus crucified by Pilate. This was their end game. And it was with this aim that they arrived in the early morning at Pilate's palace. When the high priests handed Jesus over to him, Pilate asked the charge, but they replied in a riddle. He could not get a simple answer out of them. In verse 30 we read, this is what they said. If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Well, Pilate gets a bit miffed. I guess he did not like their evasive answer. Take him then yourselves, says Pilate, and judge him by your own law. Now, the high priests could have done this, and indeed they had not hesitated to apply the punishment of stoning in other instances. In John 10:31, they were ready to stone Jesus. We are told they picked up stones to, to stone him. And at that time they'd accused Jesus of blasphemy as he, they thought he was claiming to be God. So they could have stoned Jesus this time. Well, why didn't they? Well, death of crucifixion was probably the most brutal of deaths. It was long and it was public and it was reserved for slaves and extreme criminals as well as political or religious agitators. This is what the Jewish leaders wanted for Jesus. A public display of Jesus' death would put an end to it and all of his followers would run away and the whole new interpretations of the law would be squashed and their status quo, which was challenged, would then be wiped out. The other thing we learn about the Jews is that while they wanted Pilate to crucify Jesus at their request on a trumped-up charge, they wouldn't actually walk into Pilate's palace because the Passover was approaching and they wanted to remain ceremonially clean. As they plotted to kill the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb was on their minds and the celebration of atonement. 
It didn't cross their minds that being responsible for the murder of an innocent man would tinge their ceremonial cleanness. Well, the Jews are the background to the story rather than the primary focus. But if we consider how they used their authority in this situation, they do not display the type of leadership anyone would want to emulate. Not one thing they did was authentic, fair or balanced. With all the sneaking about at night, you have to wonder if they really believed that they thought what they were doing was right. They probably justified their actions to themselves under the law, but pretty much they were acting out of self-interest. And unfortunately, we do see this trait in many of our leaders in this world today. Absolute power, we've been told, corrupts absolutely. But Jesus' absolute power was very different. His power was his love. And unlike earthly rulers, he used his power of love only for good. Now, a few weeks ago, I went on a silent retreat. And over that week, we looked at the various portraits painted of Jesus by the Gospel writers. And although each Gospel writer has a slightly different focus depending upon which community they're writing their Gospel for, we found that they all had a common thread. Everything that Jesus does in his life is done with one thing in mind, love. This icon was used a lot during the retreat. It's of Jesus and John, his beloved disciple. John rests on the bosom of Jesus. It's such an intimate and loving pose. You almost feel like you're intruding on a very personal moment when you look at it. And that is how Jesus is with everybody, intensely intimate and personal. He loves every person he comes across. He meets their needs, whether it be healing, the blind, the lame, feeding those who followed him, working on the margins of society to include those who'd been cast out from the community. He touched lepers, the unclean. He cast out demons. He taught tolerance and unity. In the story of the Good Samaritan, he gives a model of how we should treat each other. He never challenged the worldly leadership of the Romans because he was clearly focused on the kingdom of God and God's people. His mission was to come and show humanity what a true fullness of a relationship with God can look like, what's possible for each of us. He wanted everyone to understand that this relationship was open to them. It was open to criminals. It was open to high priests. It was open to lepers, the poor, the rich. And it was open to Pilate. For God made each person. How can he love one and hate another? But after only just loving as best he could, Jesus is now before Pilate. Love is clearly more dangerous than you might think. Now, Pilate was the prefect of Judea and oversaw the Roman rule of the whole region. He was in Jerusalem in case there was trouble during the Passover. Thousands of animals would be sacrificed in this time of atonement, the one day in the year when the Jews' sins were wiped clean. It was the major, major celebration. The temple and the city of Jerusalem got crowded and crowds often caused trouble. 
So Pilate was on the lookout for this. Not much is known about Pilate, but historians of the time, Philo and Josephus, paint a picture of an oppressive, greedy, stubborn and cruel ruler whom the Jews hated. He ruled from 26 AD and was recalled to Rome for incompetence in 36. So he was no shining star and he was not a nice guy. So Pilate is before Jesus and Pilate's first question of Jesus as he stood before him was, are you king of the Jews? Despite the Jews not mentioning a charge when they handed Jesus over, clearly Pilate has heard about Jesus. But Jesus answers him with another question. Is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? It's quite a strange reply. But remember that Jesus asked a similar question of his disciples just a bit earlier. He said to them, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And for me in this question, John seems to be drawing together Jesus' friends and also his enemy Pilate and giving them equal importance by having them answer exactly the same question. Doesn't answer the question Pilate posed, but I don't think Jesus actually intended to. What the question does seem to do is probe the heart of Pilate. This, after all, is what Jesus is interested in when he meets somebody. He sees right into people's hearts. Is Jesus perhaps wanting to know what Pilate sees in him? Is Jesus showing care where Pilate is at with God? Is he even loving Pilate, this cruel ruler? What he is saying is, Pilate, who do you think that I am? Jesus wants everyone to know the love of God. The love was for both Jew and Gentile, for Roman leaders as well as Jews. Has Pilate seen God within Jesus? Jesus seems to want to know. It's quite a confronting thing to think about the ability to love someone who is about to have you killed. As I wrote this sermon, the attacks on Paris have been playing on my mind. I was filled with hatred for ISIS as I saw the carnage on my TV screen. I was angry that such a relatively small group of people could cause such worldwide suffering. They are everything we despise. They seem to have no regard for human life. I wanted somebody to truly drop a huge bomb and kill a lot of them and put an end to the terror. And then I thought, about what God was revealing to me about Jesus and Pilate. I remembered the words I'd just written, that God created all human beings and loves them all. And then I thought, God loves the people who are involved in this ISIS cult. God loved Pilate. And during the walk I did to clear my mind as I thought about all of this, I felt God say to me, Don't hate the person, but do hate their behaviour. Don't hate the person, but do hate their behaviour. This is easy enough to say, but perhaps not so easy to do. However, I do think that hate never solved anything, and as people of God, we can make a difference by doing our part to rid the world of hate and fear. I think Pilate's reply to Jesus' probing would have saddened Jesus. Pilate said, 
am I a Jew, he says. In other words, how would I know I'm not one of you? This is a Jewish thing and I'm dealing with it. The answer avoids Jesus' questioning of Pilate's heart. But the answer could be read as either being reactive or ambivalent. Was Pilate taken off guard by Jesus' question and replied off the cuff? Or couldn't he care less? We will never know which. Interestingly, we find in readings by historian Tertullian that Pilate later became convinced of the divine nature of Jesus and became a Christian. Augustine hailed him as a convert and the Greek and Coptic Orthodox churches actually named Pilate and his wife as saints, which I admit to being surprised about. Only God will truly know what happened in Pilate's heart. But I don't know how he could have met Jesus and looked into his eyes and not had some movement in his heart. At a point in our lives, we all end up in the position of Pilate. We stand before Jesus, he asks us a question, and we make our own response. So far in the conversation, neither Pilate nor Jesus has answered the other in the way which we'd normally have expected. I wonder what Pilate did see in Jesus. Clearly, he didn't see Jesus as a great threat, because despite the title or accusation of King of the Jews, which was later to be nailed above him on the cross, there were no throngs of dangerous people demanding Jesus' release outside the palace, in fact, the opposite. There was not likely to be an upheaval in Jerusalem because of his arrest. Pilate then probes Jesus back. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me, what is it you have done? Is Pilate wanting to know more about who Jesus is from his heart or is this just due process? I wonder. Jesus doesn't go into specifics of what he has supposedly done to deserve this trial. He doesn't plead his earthly case. He doesn't even challenge the legality of what the chief priests have done. Instead, he explains that his kingdom is not of this world. He tells Pilate he came to the world to testify to the truth and only people on the side of truth will listen to him. Pilate's response is, what is truth? Well, our reading today leaves this question open and I believe that John writes his gospel in a way that leaves us room to think for ourselves. Like Pilate, we are left by John to think about the truth that Jesus was testifying to and explore it for ourselves. In John 14:6, we read, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. John 8:31, we read, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As I said before, Jesus came to show us what being in a true relationship with God was like. And that relationship is what frees us from our own less than perfect way of dealing with life. That's what I think the truth is. It wasn't a message for just the traditional people of God, Israel, but a message for all of God's creation. This included Pilate and Herod. It included the soldiers who subsequently mocked and beat Jesus, nailed him to the cross and witnessed his death. Jesus is a king 
He is our Lord. He is the perfect expression of what a human relationship with God should look like. He was not the king the Jews expected and he was not the type of King Pilate expected. But his kingship is one we can rely on because it doesn't change. As a king, he is worth following because his authority is from God and authentic. It doesn't wax and wane according to the nature of man. It is a kingship based on love. This statue was at the monastery I was staying at for my retreat and it epitomises what it means that Jesus is our king. I used to walk past it a million times a day and look at it. Jesus stands with an open left arm accepting all people, inviting them to come to him. But his right arm is pointing the way to God. Jesus' kingship is not about himself. He points the way at all times to the love of the Father. His crown symbolises his divine authority as the Son of God, probably taken from Revelation 14.14, where the Son of Man at the second coming wears a golden crown. Certainly, there was no earthly crown for Jesus, apart from the crown of thorns which was used to mock him. But a true king puts his subjects first and themselves last. Pilate didn't do this, and nor did the Jewish leaders. Jesus did until his death. As we move towards Advent, we think of newness and we think of beginnings. We talk a lot about peace. We get together with those we love. Maybe this Christmas as we prepare, we can promote true peace and love between all races, religions and creeds. We actually cannot depend on our earthly rulers to solve the problems of this world. It's up to each of us to play a part. And the biggest tool we have is our ability to love. And that ability to love is God's gift to us. Let's use it more. Every single person created by God is loved by God. In showing love to each other, we truly recognise Jesus as the King in our lives. Amen. Please be seated for the final blessing. Lord, we just thank you. And in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, help us to go out and love all people. Amen.